Last week, we were looking at the mission of Christ from Acts chapter 1, and we were seeing how Christ called his disciples, his last words, right, before he ascended, and he called his disciples to be on mission, disciples making disciples. And today I want us to continue that line of thought and to consider what it was like after those, after those disciples saw the body of Christ grow and disciples were being made, they gathered together. You see, the book of Acts gives us a, a picture of, of what happened during that time in terms of the expanse of the gospel. But after the book of Acts, we have a bunch of letters inspired by God that were written to who? Local churches. And so uh, we are a part of that. We are a local expression of God's church. And so today I'd like for us to, uh, to see how that is described in the book of Ephesians. First, we'll be in chapter 2, and we'll see some descriptions of how the Lord builds the church, thinking of the local church. But then also we'll turn over to chapter 3, and we'll see how Paul prayed a prayer for the local church. And within all of that, I would like to share a bit of a report, a brief report of, of what we have seen uh, here over the last year, kind of a state of the church, if you will. Uh, just, a, just a brief report to share some things that I think will be an encouragement to you and uh, an opportunity for us just to, just to take a minute and reflect about how the Lord has blessed us over the last year. And so we begin in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19. It says this, So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. You see, as, as the Great Commission was going forth, as the gospel message was being shared, it was being shared with people who were far from God, who had been alienated from God. And if we think about it, that's where we all begin. Uh, we begin set, uh, separated from God, and so we're all born in sin. And so we, we have a verse like this that says, at one time we were aliens and strangers, but look at what happens. But now they, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. What does that tell us? It tells us that, that we have been brought into God's family. Now, I know we could just continue reading right on through Ephesians 2 and just kind of skip over that. But let me just ask you today, what difference has it made in your life, if you are a follower of Christ, to be included in the family of God, to be a part of, of His family, to know that, 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 that He is your heavenly Father watching over you, caring for you, providing for you? You see, that's what we experience when we become part of of his family. And maybe for some of us today, it's an invitation, an invitation to come to him, to no longer be separate, to no longer be, be alienated from God, but to meet him through his son, Jesus Christ, and have him bring you into his family. Because there's no other greater position to be in, is there? No other, no greater family to be a part of than, than to be a part of the family of, with, with God himself as our Heavenly Father. What an awesome privilege. And when the people of God's family gather together, we do so in a local context like this one today, gathered in a, in a church together. Here's how it's described in Ephesians 2. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. You see, when we get together, 
on Sundays and we gather to worship and we sing these great songs of our faith and, and we proclaim what, what is true and we hear the word of God read as, as Becky read it earlier, we are, we are standing on the shoulders of who? The prophets and the apostles and fellow believers that have gone before us. We are in that line, in that legacy that is continuing. And so it's significant when we get together and when we proclaim God's word and when we sing praise to him, we are a part of what was begun through the foundation of the apostles and prophets. But what's the key? That Christ Jesus is the cornerstone. He is that absolute foundation. Verse 21 says, In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. And as we read these words, I want us to notice that God is active. It says here that he's putting it together, that he's building it up, and even uses the, the, the picture of the temple. We think of the Old Testament temple and how the, how the Spirit of God dwelt there in the Holy of Holies. Well, he's saying now to a local church, like the church of Ephesus, or the local church, like Church Fellowship of Wildwood, that his, his spirit isn't dwelling in that old-style temple any longer. His spirit now dwells in his people. And yes, he, he, he indwells and embodies what is happening here within this assembly today, and he has made his home within the hearts and lives of every person who's a part of his family. And so all of that is being communicated here in Ephesians 2, that he's putting it together, he is building it up, he is growing it. And so as we think about the local church, and as I think about giving a report of the last year, I, I think, you know, some, some might say it's kind of a state of the church report, right? But it might also just be labeled simply a praise report, because it's, it's, it's praise for what God is doing. He's the one. He is the one at work. He is the one indwelling this, this people in this place. And so as we think today about our church family. I do want to share a few things because I believe that God is the one who builds the church. He builds up the body and I want him to receive the glory for what is taking place. Now, when you think about building up the church, there's a lot of things that we could, that we could immediately jump to. And there's probably a couple of metrics that, that we would be most prone to, to, to look at. What would those be? Who would you think? Attendance. Yeah, that's always a big one. Anything else? Maybe baptisms, yeah, money, <laughs> giving. Uh, those, those things are quantifiable, aren't they? I mean, we can, we can compare from one year to another. And I think we should. We should recognize, I mean, to see what, what's happening. But what, what, what would be some other ways? What if we were to say, we see the Lord building us up in unity or harmony? Again, that might be a little harder to put down on a card, but, but don't you know it when you see it? Or what if we said, we, we believe that the Holy Spirit is building us up with a desire for his word. We know it when we see it, right? There's a hunger there. There's a thirst. We, we look at the world around us and we see the chaos and we say, we need God's word to guide us, to strengthen us, to give us a, a firm foundation. Or what if, we, what if we said, we see the Lord building us up in the, the ministry of intercession. 
in prayer, that, that we see a priority there that we want to be a part of and we want to know how we can be together in prayer and what we can pray about and how we can recognize when, when God is hearing and responding to the prayers of his people. Wouldn't we also say that that is, that is the Spirit building up the body? What if, it's, what if it's a witness in the community, that there could be a greater witness that, that the Lord is working and building up that, that witness? These would all be things that I think we could look back and say, thank you, Lord, for your work here. Thank you for your work here within, within our church family. And part of that, of course, is ministry to one another. Part of that's ministry outside these walls. Now, of course, as we think about, about uh, the last year, we certainly want to stop and say, Thank you, Lord, for the new people that have come into our church family. I mean, what a tremendous blessing. And we, we, we're meeting new people every week, and, and, and many of them have said, this is where God is leading us. This is where I want to be. I want to be a part of, of this local church family. In fact, it was, uh, I think, last month when we gathered for our, our prayer gathering, maybe two, two months ago. We do that, we do that uh, one Sunday night a month, and I looked over at all the different tables and it struck me that there were new people at each of those groups, and they were they were praying with with other people, and it just just seeing how how things are are are, uh, are are coming together with 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 new new people in the church has just been an incredible blessing. Now, some have said, "Well, is the attendance up from last year to from last year to 2021 to 2022?" And the answer is yes. We we certainly have seen an increase. It was a little harder to quantify it though, because if we did just like a a 2021 average and a 2022 average, it would be a bit exaggerated. And, and the reason being is that the first quarter of 2021 was still feeling the effects of COVID, and so we probably had more people still watching online. And so I don't want to come in and like give exaggerated numbers. So I thought, well, what would the fourth quarter of 21 with the fourth quarter of 22 look like? And it was a 17% increase, which is still significant. I mean, that's something that is that is noteworthy, and and again, something to give God the glory for. He's also provided for the, for the, the resources of, of the church. The ministries of the church, of course, are dependent upon the, the, uh, the sacrificial and the generous giving of, of those who are part of the ministries here. And, and the, uh, the giving from 21 to 22 was increased by 10%, which, again, you know, thinking about a lot of factors, but including the economy that, that we've all been living through, that, that is, that is quite, quite remarkable and, and something that I think we, again, stop to praise the Lord for, for providing, providing for families, providing for the needs of the, of, of the families as well as the needs of the church. It's been, it's been uh, very, very encouraging. In fact, um, at the end of the year, we, we received a substantial gift that doesn't get counted into those. It was something really like anything I've ever seen before, just a family in the church that wanted to give a gift. And, and the, these, these are investments in the future of the Fellowship of Wildwood. It's saying, you know, we, we believe in what's happening here. We want to ensure that, that ministry growth can happen and it can expand. And, and we're, we're, we're invested. We're here. And, uh, and again, I think ultimately we know where all of that comes from. It all passes through God's hands before it comes to ours. And so we, 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 we know it all belongs to him. And I just want to mention those things as a way to give him thanks. We also know that we have um, roughly 20,000 square feet of classroom buildings that we are itching to open up, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been watching those things and seeing them. Thinking, well, we need them. We need them now, right? We've got small groups that need to begin. I mean, we are maximizing this building during the small group time, and uh, we've got 
got some, some buildings there that we want to see open. We've got classes with Living, Wa- with Living Water Academy that, that are literally waiting for those doors to open so that they can finally get, in, get a class into a classroom. And so uh, I'm, I'm happy to share that, that it looks like we're very close. And we're going to have a dedication time on the first Sunday night of February. And you'll be invited to come, and we're going to walk into those buildings. We're going to see them. We're going to see what they offer. But you know what, we're, what we are really going to do? What do you think we're going to do? We're going to pray for those buildings. And we're going to pray for the small groups that are going to be started because those small groups are really, in many ways, they are the glue that holds this church together. I mean, that's where the real care happens one for another. I, I know it can happen in other contexts and through other ministries. I'm not saying that it doesn't, but, but primarily it's through people gathered in these smaller groups where they can really care for each other. They can disciple and encourage and spur one another on. And, and maybe you've been thinking about jumping into a small group. There's going to be some new ones starting soon. And we're going, to have, we're going to have a place for them. And so uh, we also want to pray for the classes that will be gathered. Pray for those students. We want to pray for the teachers. We want to ask for God's blessing upon all that happens. And so, uh, again, we, we recognize that, that the Lord is, is providing that, and you'll be hearing more about that. You also know that over the last couple of years, we've been in, in the midst of a strategic planning process. And it was uh, quite interesting because we had a beautiful plan that we were ready to share in March of 2020. It was really kind of funny. I mean, it, we really got to the end. It's like, okay, it's time to share with the church. And then the world shut down. And uh, as you might imagine, then that, that plan had to be refined some. But we had been working through a series of objectives. And the idea was try to find some different areas within the, the church that we could focus upon. You know, you can't do everything at once, but you can, you can highlight certain areas. And so we were compelled that we wanted to begin with prayer. We wanted to really consider what is the prayer ministry of the church? How can it be strengthened? What are some some ways in which we can bring people together, such as Sunday nights, uh, uh, once a month to to pray with each other? We've got another initiative that you're going to be hearing about in March that's going to be the ability to send out a prayer request real time. So that if you're getting a list of prayer requests, it's not just something that was put together, you know, days ago, but something that is like real time. And so uh, we're looking at some technology and ways to do that so that the church body can be praying more specifically uh, for one another. We also have a, a man who's going to lead us in a prayer conference on the first Sunday of March. His name's Bill Elif. He's going to come and teach Sunday morning. He's going to teach Sunday night and really help uh, teach us in one of those disciplines that a lot of Christians would, would like to know more about. Even the disciples said, what? Lord, teach us to pray. And so, uh, so we, want to, we want to continue looking at this objective. But you'll notice on the, on the top line here, the darker color ones are what we're calling phase one. And uh, we've got worship, small groups, church ministry alignment, and also local community and evangelism. And if you have been uh, a part of the church over the last few months, you've seen some of these objectives uh, some of the fruit of them. For example, the, the group that was looking at the worship objective said, for us to really uh, bring about more creativity in our worship services, we need to have a team of people that are gifted in that way. And so look back over the month of December and, 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 and what we experienced, whether it be the decor in the church or the box that was put together or the cards and, and the initiative that was, that was used to send out, that was, that, w- that was a group of church members that, and it was, together with some staff, that said, 
We're going to use the gifts that God's given, and we're going to put this together for the Advent season. I don't know about you, but I was incredibly blessed over the Christmas season here at Fellowship, and and we had a lot of people working behind the scenes. If I'd said creative team at that time, you guys would have said, what's that? Well, they they were behind the scenes working. And we've got another, another task within worship objective. We now need to begin thinking, well, what do we do if we experience another, say, 17% growth in this year? What will we do? Uh, what will we do in this worship service? At what point do we begin looking at additional services? And so it's, it's, it's better for us to think through that now while we still have room to grow than when we get to a point where, there, where there's just people sitting in the lobby, right? And we don't know that that will happen, but if the Lord were to bless in that way, we would want to have a plan. And so this team will be looking at that as well. Obviously, small groups, you've already heard me say we, we, we really need to see more groups started. New people are coming means we need to have some new groups and uh, see the connection that can happen there. Church ministry alignment is a tool that's being developed so that ministries can be evaluated. If something is going that is a ministry of the church, we want to see, well, is it aligned to the mission and vision of the church? If not, does it need to be changed? Does it need, do we need to do something different? Uh, are there areas that, that aren't being addressed and, and, and need to, to begin something new? That's what that, that objective is all about. And then, of course, evangelism and local community, a, a continual effort and a priority to try to make sure that we don't just stay focused within these walls, but that we see that we're on an Acts 1-8 mission, right? And that we, we are in our Jerusalem. We are in a Judea. We have, we have responsibility here as well that we want to consider. So those are some of the objectives. I'm excited about some of the other ones as well. Um, care and counseling. I, I am convinced that the local church can, can really, and particularly our church, you know, we can, we can strengthen and improve the ways in which we provide care, even, even biblical counseling. Now, it's going to take effort. It's going to take, take training. It's going to take, take people that are gifted in that, in that, in that area. But I, I'm convinced that the day will come when we're able to really offer more of that. And so it's just a matter of looking at these objectives and as God leads uh, moving forward. Now, one area of the plan uh, that, that we are thinking about within the, the strategic plan is the use of the facility. Uh, we have been blessed with a beautiful, beautiful facility. In fact, a campus, 29 acres, I mean, just, just stop and think of, of what God has provided here. It's, it's incredible, and it's debt-free, and it's used almost every single day. I mean, I, I've, I've, never, I've never been in a, a church building that is just packed out, you know, six days of the week, right? Between school and, and Living Water Academy, it, this, this place is packed. And then on Saturdays, lots of activities and events happening as well. And so, so th- that's, that, that's a good thing. We want the facility to be used. I mean, how many of us want to have something opened up that's just opened up once or twice a week, Right. I mean, this, this is great that it's used, but, but because it's used so heavily, we need to make sure we're taking care of it and that we're, that we're um, strategic about the way in which we're using it. And so that's going to be part of, of this plan as well. Sometimes we ask questions like, are there some areas that could be better utilized? Maybe it's in the worship center. You know, we did some, some technology upgrades a couple of years ago. Are there some other things that need to happen? Particularly as we think about our online ministry, there's some, some technology uh, upgrades that need to happen. What about the lobby? You know, that's a real point of connection uh, with new people that are coming in, a way for us to, to introduce the church to them, but also where people connect. The cafe is another example. Are we using it as fully as we can? 
Um, how can we look at that? How can we look at our kitchen and different ministries to make sure that, uh, that they're being fully utilized? And, uh, you know, the, the church building's kind of like a house. It has, it has carpet that wears out. It has roofs that spring leaks. I mean, there's, there's issues that have to continually be addressed. And, and we want to be good stewards. We want to keep up with it. And we want to use this tool for the glory of God. Now, in order to do this, we have been working over the last few months with a company called the Aspen Group. And the Aspen Group is a, uh, is a company that exists for church facility design. That's what they do. That's all that they do. And uh, they are fantastic. I mean, they, they have found their niche, and the people that work with them, architects and, and, uh, and others, really understand church facilities. And uh, their mission, excuse me, their vision is creating space for ministry impact. And we've had some meetings with them. We've got other meetings on the horizon, and uh, they're going to help us as we really evaluate uh, where we're at uh, from a facility standpoint and how we can best utilize what God has provided. And so I tell you that because I want you to know their name. I want you to know the name Aspen Group. As you pray about the strategic plan, you pray for the church, pray for the Aspen Group because they're giving us some, some insight in, in terms of, of, the, uh, of the facility. So I share this brief report, and I hope that I've been able to do so in light of Ephesians 2 with the idea that God is building his church, that it's his work, it's his ministry. And so we want him to be the one who receives the glory for what he has done over the last year. And we want to look to him as we look to 2023 and say, we believe that God has a plan for the days that are ahead. And we want to look to him in faith. We want to look to him in obedience, but knowing that he is the one who goes before us. So with that in mind, I'd like to draw that part to a close and continue by looking at a prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. Now, Paul was writing this prayer, praying this prayer for a local church. Town was Ephesus, ancient city in, in what is modern-day Turkey. And, and so he's praying this for a local church, and I believe that it is a prayer that could be a great encouragement for us as we think about, about our church and we think about praying for our church. But I think there's also some things there that individually we can glean from, we can look to. And so I'm going to try to point that out along the way. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 3, and we'll pick up in verse 14. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, the height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, there's a lot in this prayer, isn't there? I mean, if, as we go through these, these verses, I'm sure lots of different words are jumping out. Let me just quickly this morning give you four aspects of this prayer that I think we can look to and can be a model for us. The first one is this, a church that is strengthened by the Spirit's presence. Notice again that in verse 16, it says that, that the church needs strength. This idea of, uh, that we looked at last week, dunamis, dynamite, 
power, that it comes by the Spirit. It's not, it's not what we can, can come up with in our own strength. It's looking at, at the Spirit giving the power. And if you read the verses just prior to the prayer, you'll see that Paul was concerned that the church might be losing heart. That, that's another way of saying that the church might be discouraged. And so I want to mention that because maybe some people have come in today and you say, you know, I can, I can, I can relate to that. I, I am discouraged. I have lost heart. And for one reason or another, I mean, we all have those seasons, don't we? Where, where it's just tough, it's difficult. And, 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 and Paul's pointing out that, that, that they are in the midst of something that's difficult. And, and he's concerned that they might be losing heart. And so, so what he brings is this prayer. And so maybe today, if you're here, and, 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 and that's, that's something that's resonating with you, maybe this prayer is something for you to mark and to go back over again this week and to see how it can bring you encouragement as it did this church. Well, they needed strength. And again, uh, uh, the church of Ephesus was not in, uh, in an easy place for ministry. Uh, the, the, the place of Ephesus was, uh, was, a, was a regional town. It was, it was a, a well-known city. Uh, it had the third largest library in the world at that time. You can find pictures of the Celsus Library online. There's still some ruins of it today. But it was best known for the Temple of Artemis, or Temple of Diana. And this was a, uh, a pagan temple. It was one of the wonders of the ancient world. And people from all over came to this temple. You may remember in uh, Acts chapter 19, it was described. And, and uh, it was, a, it was a, a fertility cult, if you will. And so the, the activities that surrounded the worship, if you will, in this pagan cult were, were very immoral. Sexual immorality was, was prevalent. And there was also a whole other industry of people that would make these little images of Diana and they would sell them. Do you remember in Acts 19 when the silversmiths got upset at the believers? Well, this is the same town. So this church is the church in that city. And why did the silversmiths get upset? The gospel was being preached in Ephesus. People began worshiping Jesus Christ and stopped worshiping who? Diana, Artemis. And so it was putting the silversmiths out of business. And they were like, wait a minute, this is upsetting our economy here. So who was being blamed for it? The followers of Jesus Christ. And so, so Paul's writing, I know that you could lose heart. I know that you're ministering in a difficult context. And I think we could, we could look at that ourselves and say, yeah, we, we know what it's like to be in a difficult context. Maybe ours isn't like, like Ephesus was, but, but we're not in a context where, where people are immediately accepting what we hold to as dear either. I read this week that, that in 1972, happens to be the year I was born in, 96% of Americans claim to be Christians. Now, I know that might mean a lot of different things. So I'm not saying 96% of the people were born again. I'm not saying that. But that was the prevailing perspective, and it had worldview implications. You know what that number is now? Yeah, about 50%. Yeah, in 50 years, just, just down, 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 down. The article was actually about the number of church buildings that are, that are vacant and empty, a couple thousand a year. 
that are, that are no longer in use. I mean, we've, we've seen that. You can, you can see that happening. And so it's a different age that we live in, but, but what am I, what's the point I'm making? We are also now ministering in a context where we can't just expect that what we hold to as dear is the prevailing thought of the world around us. And we have lots of reminders about that. And, and so, again, not to be discouraged, but to know that we've been placed here for, for such a time as this. In fact, we looked at the book of 1 Peter all of last fall. And 1 Peter was written to people who were what? Who were exiles. They were followers of Christ, but they, they, they were definitely swimming against the stream, if you will. And, and, and we looked at what Peter had to say so that as a church, we could understand our role in that. It's not a role of fear. It's not a, world of, a role of escape. It's a, it's a role of proclamation. It's a role of being light against the backdrop of something that has become increasingly dark. And knowing that there are people out there in that chaos, in that confusion, that desperately need the gospel. And so we, we looked at 1 Peter. Starting next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to open up the book of Daniel. And you know who Daniel was? A young man who was living in what? Exile. That's right. He's living in Babylon, trying to be faithful to God with a few of his friends. Now, I don't know that I've ever done this before, but I, I, I kind of have this, this thought that I'd like the, the, this series, we're going to go through the first six chapters between now and Easter, Lord willing. And I'd like this series to be dedicated to the young people of our church. Because they are the ones, they are the ones that are, that are, that are, that are standing, standing firm, standing like a Daniel who was probably a teenager with his friends, standing firm in a, in a society around them. In fact, we'll talk more about it as we open the series up, but it was, it was difficult, and they, they, they were faithful. And that's, that's, that's what our young people are being called to do. Again, going back to this idea of standing on the shoulders of the apostles and the prophets, they do too, and they are standing and will stand in a, in a culture that is increasingly hostile to the Christian faith, but they are the torchbearers. They are the ones. So I hope that makes sense. I mean, it's not like the sermon series is just for one group of people. You know, I think it's for all of us, right? But I really want our young people to see their place in that. And, uh, and I'd ask you to pray for them. And some of you are saying, well, does that include me? Am I a young person? You can answer that, okay? I'm not going to get in trouble by saying who's young and who's not. But I'll be preaching the message and we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see how the Lord applies it. But I, I want our young people to be encouraged. This last week... We saw, um, we saw a couple of different people who were profiled as Christians who took stands on different, different uh, subjects. One of them was a, was a hockey player who, who wouldn't participate in a particular event. And, and we saw a, a, a Hall of Fame football coach, Tony Dungy, make the announcement that he was going to speak at the March for Life rally in Washington, D.C. with his wife. And maybe you heard about that and how people that, you know, he's, he works for a network as a commentator and how someone else that worked for the network said he ought to be fired for going to speak at a March for Life rally, basically. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. Those are, that's the kind of, of opposition that we can see on a public level, but I know that we also can see it very, very personally. By the way, today is the first Sanctity of Human Life Sunday since Roe v. Wade was overturned. Significant day. Significant for us to, to consider that. Amen. All right, well, I don't know what I'm doing because it's the first point. We've got to move, all right? So let's, let's keep going here. 
All right, we're talked about strength, right? With the strength from the Spirit. Look at verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts. This in the Greek is kata oikos. It's talking about dwelling in the house. Like he's making you his home. Look at John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. There may be some people here today that need to be reminded. You're not alone. The Lord is, he is, he is living in you. If you belong to him, you're part of his family. He says, I, I will dwell in you. And he will dwell in us as a church. We are strengthened by the Spirit's presence. Number two, we are secure in the love of God. And if you look at verse 17, the, the second part of it says that, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love. Paul has done something kind of strange here. He's taken two different metaphors. Rooted is a metaphor for agriculture. It's like, here's this massive tree, and it has this root system that provides what? Stability. And then he, he says, firmly established. He's talking about a building that's constructed on a foundation, which gives it what? Stability. We all remember what Jesus said about the house built on the sand, right? So, so Paul's taking these two metaphors, he's bringing them together, and he's saying it's the love of God that gives stability. That's what you can build your life on. And many of us remember what it was like before we came to Christ. And we were building our lives on the sand. And we were building our lives without that root system. And everything that was happening was just pushing us all around. People have testimonies of this. Some of you have testimonies of what that's like. But then, when Christ comes to dwell, when we become part of his family, and he establishes us with the stability of his love. Now, as soon as I say his love, I know people are thinking of February 14th, Valentine's Day love. That's not what's being communicated here. Now, I get it. Love does include emotion. There's that emotive side of it. But it's far more than that. This is a commitment of God for you because you belong to him. He's holding you firm. He's giving you stability. It's his love that is his commitment to you. And that's why this verse is, continues into to verse 18, to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love. He's trying to talk about the magnitude. In fact, some people call this the four magnitudes of God's love. What are they? The width of God's love. You see, in Christ, both Jew and Gentile were equally accepted. John chapter 3 says, For God so loved the world. He came for all peoples everywhere, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's the width of his love. It says also the length of his love. And so you think about that from a timeline perspective. What did, what did the Lord tell Jeremiah? He said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And we, we think of even the description in Romans 13, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13, that says love never ends. It's not like the love of this world that sometimes is turned on and turned off. This is, this is constant. It's everlasting. That's the length of his love. What about the depth? Do you know that the love of God can reach down to the lowest levels of sin? 
Can I tell you that there is no sin that he can't forgive? That there's no life that he can't redeem? That it's not too late for Christ to make something new? You see, that's the depth. In fact, in Ephesians 2, it says, you he made alive who were dead in trespass and sin. You see, that's, that's what his love can do. It goes down to the depth. What about the height? Well, these blessings that we receive come, according to Ephesians 1, from heavenly places. Ephesians 1, 3, he has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So folks, that's just a snapshot of the kind of love you and I have received. That height and width and length and depth. That's the kind of love that surrounds and undergirds and stabilizes the fellowship of Wildwood. That's what we pray for for our church, this kind of love. And then look at verse 19. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that a great verse? Just look at that. He's telling us to know something that's beyond our ability to know, right? So we can know it, and we should know it, and we should experience it, but will we fully understand all of it? Not in this lifetime. Serious contemplation. I'm reminded of a, of a hymn that was written back in the early 1900s titled The Love of God. And it's credited to a, a writer named Frederick uh, Lehman. I think it was like 1917. But as he was describing this hymn, he said, you know, I didn't write all the verses to this hymn. There was a mental health facility in his words, he called it an asylum. I know we don't use that anymore. But he says this, in this mental health facility, in someone's room that passed away, there was a piece of paper that had been written on by a patient. And I tell you, the idea that God was speaking in the midst of that mental health facility to a person who had been put there who had probably been tormented by all kinds of things, who knows what? And maybe for some of us, we're a little more sensitive to that than others. Maybe that's something that, that we can relate to, or we, we know someone who, can, who does relate to that. And to think that, that in that setting, when someone was likely feeling very isolated and maybe surrounded with, with a lot of confusion and chaos, God gave that person some words that are still sung today. I promise I won't sing them to you, but I will read them to you. The love of God. Listen to the connection between the verse that we just read, okay? Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above? would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That is just brilliant, isn't it? Just the, the poetic imagery of someone trying to communicate the vast love of God that that person must have been experiencing. And it makes me wonder that that may have been the only love that that person might have been experiencing. But was it enough? They were there to write about it. They go on to write these words. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure 
the saints an angel song. Isn't that beautiful? What a, what a reminder of how God has given His love, strengthens us with it. Well, quickly, strengthened by the Spirit's presence, secure in the love of God. The end of verse 19 says, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so this is praying that a church would be filled with divine provision. It's not what we give, what we provide. It's what God provides as we ask and pray for Him to meet the needs. And being filled with God is not just something that happens once and then it's like we're filled forever. I think you would agree with me that being filled by God is a process. It's kind of like we've got a hole in the bucket, right? And we need to be filled again and again. And we need to be refreshed by God again. And we need Him to fill us with His wisdom again and fill us with His peace again and fill us with His joy again. And some of you may have walked in this morning and felt like things were a little empty. And I want to tell you that there's a promise here that you can be full. And you're filled with the provision of God. It's kind of like taking kids to the beach. You know, they go and they scoop, up a, uh, uh, they scoop up a bucket of water from the ocean, right? Now, they have the fullness of the ocean in that bucket, right? But did they diminish that ocean? I mean, is the ocean like, wait a minute, I don't know that I can do what I'm supposed to do now, right? I mean, you, this kid over here is taking this bucket from me. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to control. No, I mean, it's like nothing. And so we, we go to God. Yes, he fills us. And he's able to fill us over and over and over again while he's filling you and filling you and filling me and filling us all. We go to him. Now, Paul's praying to be filled. And, I, and, I, and I'm thinking about this passage. And I know that it's being filled, it's being enriched, it's being blessed. But there's another way that filled can be used. Sometimes we use the word filled to, be, to talk about controlled. If I walked in here and said, man, I was filled with rage this week. You'd be like, well, pastor, I know what you've been doing then. I probably know how you've been treating people and what you've been saying. And I mean, there's actions, right, that accompany being filled with rage. Well, if we are filled with God's fullness, what do you think he's doing? He's guiding us. In fact, there's, he's controlling us in a, in a, in a positive way. He's, he's leading us so that we can experience that peace and wisdom and joy. All of these things. How many of us here long to be filled by God? How many of us? You know, I actually had a few people raise their hands in the early service. They respond, yes, I want to be filled with the things of God. I'm reminded of what John the Baptist said in John chapter 3. And you've heard these words. He said, he must increase, but I must decrease. And that's day by day, filled with the fullness of God. Leads us to verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Now, is that not a verse packed with imagery? All that he can provide. We come in prayer. We come asking for strength. We come asking for his fullness. And it's described that it's beyond what we can even Imagine, because God is able. He has a vast capacity, and he is able. He's able to do what? He's able to do. He's able to act. He's able to respond. 
He's able to do beyond what we ask. He's able to do beyond what we think. Now, isn't that interesting? It's, we are praying about something, and we don't even know all that we need, right? He does. Able to do beyond what we ask or think. Able to do beyond all that we ask or think. I mean, it's just, just more and more, right? Able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Now, if that is not an encouragement right there, to spend some time on your knees before the Lord, I don't know what is, because this is what we need. And this is how we should be praying for our church and praying for one another and praying for ourselves. God, it's up to you. It's your spirit dwelling in me, in us, doing above what we could even ask or think about. Yes, strategic planning is fine, but boy, does it ever have its limitations when you compare it to the sovereignty of God. We want the spirit to work and we want to follow as he guides and leads. And when we experience this as a church, notice what happens in verse 21. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. You know what the final point is? A church that's reflecting Christ's glory. That's the opportunity that you and I have. As we gather together, what a privilege to bring Christ's glory. As we worship together, we are reflecting his glory. We are sharing that with each other. As we are scattered into this community, we are taking the glory of Christ with us. That's, that's a life worth living. We have a, a truth that's worth sharing. We have a Savior who is a shepherd who's worth talking about. And that's what we have in, in being able to reflect his glory. When we consider who he is and what he's done, it gives us confidence, doesn't it? To pray, to pray for his strength, to pray for, for his indwelling, to pray that we can press on in 2023. Why? So that Jesus Christ can be glorified right here. Now, I love what it says there, to all generations. It doesn't just stop here. It just keeps going and going. To all generations, forever the glory of Christ. We get to be a part of extending that glory, reflecting that glory. All right, well, man, I, I really ran out of time. We're going to wrap this up. All right. As we pray, I want to ask you to pray specifically about something from this prayer. Here they are, four things. Pray about the strength of God. Maybe for you personally, maybe for us as a church. Pray, some of you, about the love of God, that that would be better understood or maybe that it would be reflected within the body in, in a deeper way. Think about the provision of God. Maybe there's some needs that are here today and, and, and you need to be filled with the fullness of God. And, and maybe that's a personal prayer. Maybe it's, it's praying for our church. And finally, number four, the glory of God. Would someone pray that God would be glorified. That's what it's about. So strength, love, provision, glory. What's your prayer today? Which, which aspect are you going to take? Are you ready? Are you ready now for us to follow Paul's example 
You ready? Let's pray. Would you join with me? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the prayer of Ephesians 3. We thank you for the truth that is proclaimed about your nature and your character and your ability and your willingness to dwell within your people. And so God, I, I have no idea what the needs are in this room today. But Lord, for those who are in need of strength, for those who are in danger of losing heart, God, may you give them your power by your spirit. And Father, we pray about your love. We pray that your genuine love would be experienced and expressed. Your height, your width, your depth, your, all that it, that, it, that it contains. Lord, may we experience it and share it. And God, we pray for your provision. Maybe there are some needs in this room in which someone needs you to demonstrate your power to provide. God, we pray for that. We pray for your provision and we thank you for your provision. As we worship here in this place, we know that it comes from you. And God, we pray ultimately for your glory, that the name of Jesus Christ would be known, that the glory of Jesus Christ and his renown would be what this place and this people are all about. Father, take your words today and apply them, and we pray for them now in the mighty name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen.